Well, everybody, it's that time of year again. Um, when payments executives, you know, like ISO owners and agents, and even James and I are thinking about strategies for 2023. And I think it's safe to say that all the groups, the agents, the owner, the ISO owners, and the acquirer executives, other payment company executives, you know, it's safe to say that all of these guys are going to have technology at the center of the strategic direction for the new year. Would you agree, right. James? 100%. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I was really taken recently. You um, just sent to me a draft of your uh, year-end merchant, uh, merchant sales insight, right? The MSI, right. <clears throat> um, which I thought was really telling. You um, put forth some real important uh, trends that... Um, Thank you. That can, uh, you know, help people effectively craft a strategy, you know, under, you know, help, help people understand the direction of the market, I believe. You know, we all like to think of ourselves as pushing the market in one direction or other. But, you know, the fact is that we're more like surfers, aren't we? Um, yep. <laughs> I, I think I stole that from your book, but still, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually thought of that, Patty, because um, I was watching a documentary on these uh, big wave surfers. Okay. Uh -huh. And you know, the way that they kind of move throughout the year to different areas, because they know that's where the big wave is going to be. Right. I feel like good entrepreneurs and good executives are kind of the same way. It's like, I feel like newbie, it's, it's so fun interesting to me, Patty. When I talk to the 22 to 26 year old entrepreneur, mm -hmm. they're going to change the market. They're going to change the world. They're going to change the world. <laughs> when I talk to the 39, 49, 59 year old entrepreneur, they are saying, I'm seeing something that's happening. It's a wave. And I figured out how I can ride it. Right. They yeah. got, they've gotten a little bit of humility and realize they're probably, you know, not too many of us are going to just change the totally entire change the world, context right? of the world. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. more likely we're going to be aware of trends that are happening and we're going to facilitate, uh, you know, ways that we can help. Right. And I think that's what really kind of, um, you know, separates the winners from the losers, right? Being able yeah. to anticipate those waves yep. and riding those waves. You know, yep. as opposed to, you know, being on your boogie board and just paddling away, right. and, you know, working, not... working, working. Yeah. yeah so and I, and I do want to mention here too, Patty. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about these top five trends. And right. I know you're going to kind of interview me on this one. And so this is a little mm -hmm. bit of a different episode for us. Um, right. We, this is also different because we've kind of combined a podcast episode with a merchant sales insight, which we don't normally do. Right. So while you're listening to this, understand that if you go to ccsalespro.com slash insights, you can actually go there and download the PDF document. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you want to kind of review almost like show notes in it, in a way, you yeah. want to like see what we're talking about. I have the full document there. You can um, go along with us or you can read it afterwards or right. reference it, you know, in the weeks exactly. and months ahead. And I'm going to be, and I'm going to be kind of looking over my other screen for those of you that are watching the video version, because I'm going to kind of go through the document as Patty interviews me as well. Right. Um, and so, and, and also we should mention, uh, this entire piece of content, whether the the you know written version, the audio version, the video version, all of this is brought to you by NMI.com. Uh, we have loved having them as our sponsor here in 2022 and look forward to working with them again in 2023 on some different projects. So looking forward to that. But yeah, so NMI.com, uh, check them out. They uh, You'll see throughout this, I think they can play a pivotal role in your technology strategy. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think it was, you sort of brought that out in, in the um, Merchant Sales Insight. Um, and in particular, because I know you and I have interviewed the folks from NMI and we've talked a lot about NMI, I think probably the number one business trend that we're looking at has to do with software, right? Right. That, you know, businesses are adopting more vertically specific software. Yep. Can you talk to, to that for a little bit, James? 
Yeah. So when I think about trends that are going to impact ISOs, agents, um, ISVs, payfacts, acquirers, whoever. Um, yeah, the first trend I see is businesses are adopting software created specifically for their vertical. So this episode is about big trends. Mm-hmm. So these are trends that are going to impact the next five to 10 years in the market in a major way. And the question is, how does this apply to your business? So what we have to understand is this trend, I would say of all the trends we're going to talk about today, this one is kind of locked in stone. Yes, and I agree. This is not my opinion. This is a fact. It's a fact. Um, right. This, right. this is already happening. It will continue to happen there. I, I can't imagine anything right now that could stop this particular trend. And that trend is, as software development has gotten less expensive, it's still very expensive mm-hmm. as I can attest for, but it's gotten less expensive. Right. What has happened is companies have started to demand more from the software that they use. They're no mm-hmm. longer happy with this generalized solution. Oh, we use, you know, Salesforce. Well, right. what apps do you use on Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Most likely there's a developer somewhere that built an app specifically for their business that integrates with Salesforce. And that's really what they use, right? right? Or it's like, well, we use, uh, you know, that's why you're seeing companies like, for instance, Micros, you know, struggling a bit to gain their footing in the market because they have this huge solution, huge. right? which can do like, a, an amazing amount of things, right? But but a pizza shop owner wants a system for pizza shops, pizza and a shop. hair salon wants a solution for hair salons, and so right. on and so forth. So we do have the platforms that allow this customization to take place, mm-hmm. right? And so we look at maybe in our market, we would look at say a Clover, where they have all the the app marketplace, right? Uh, we see even Zuza, which we're going to interview shortly, Danny again, and they yeah, now have so their app on our schedule, right? Right, and so we're seeing that. But again, I think at the end of the day the expectation from the business owner mm-hmm. is that they want software that was designed specifically for their business. And so I wrote down here two questions, Patty. Um, yes. I think those are important questions. Yeah. Would so these are the them? questions. If you're having a strategy conversation with your team as a result of this episode of the document, the two questions I wrote down, and these are questions I asked my team a few months ago, how will we provide vertical specific software solutions to businesses? Will we build our own? purchase another company or establish strategic partnerships. Okay. Yeah. yeah so when really. we asked that question several months ago, right. We decided to relaunch CC storage, which is my self-storage property management uh, right. solution. We had kind of let it go for a few years. It was just kind of sitting there on the shelf. And we said, wait a second, let's revisit because I want to make sure that my business, one of the, I have all these different businesses. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure one of the pillars in my business is taking advantage of this trend, which is an obvious trend. Well, yeah. And especially because you've been talking about this trend, it would be kind of silly yeah. for you to- For me not to take advantage of it. Take right? advantage of it, right? Right. So then the, so then the second question, and this may, may or may not be applicable to you. Uh, it's not applicable to me in my business, but it may be to you. And that is, you know, how will you transition to kind of the negative offset here, which is- the generalized solutions are going to be tougher to sell. Right. If you're if you're arming your agents with a very generalized solution that's that's quote unquote good for everybody, odds are it's becoming less and less attractive to everybody. Everybody because it, they want their nothing own solution. that can really appeal. It's not we're not in the uh, 1990s anymore, right? right? I mean, right. Well, and it's no just crazy, Patty. I mean, there. I mean, literally now it's almost like I feel like saying you know we're not. It's not 2020 anymore. Yeah. Or, like it's, or, it's crazy or, yeah. how fast the change this is, is how happening. how fast everything's changed. You're right. I, mean, I feel like literally, I feel like 2020, you were pretty much cutting edge if you were out there selling some of these like generalized POS solutions that were good for like everybody. You know, mm-hmm. now it's kind of like, wow, wait a minute. No, no, I got to go vertical specific. And then I think, you know, even within the context of vertical specific, you got to go even deeper. So you right. might have a point of sale system that's good for food service, but you might want to target food trucks. 
which is going to be a completely different set of needs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So but, but let's let's go on because I think your second trend is actually my favorite thing to talk okay. about. And that's growth in alternative forms of value exchange. And I think this is really interesting. And, and I'd like you to go into it. I know you talked a lot about the crypto thing. I also think we need to bring into here as well a discussion of real-time payments. But let's... 100%. Yeah. So... So when we talk about this, Patty, though, ultimately the let's zoom out big picture, right? Okay. okay. Our industry's been so worried about losing merchants. We're losing mm-hmm. merchants to Square. We're losing merchants to Stripe. We're losing merchants to Toast. Right. We've kind of ignored this other huge existential threat to our industry, which is we're losing wallet share. Right. Where we have the restaurant. But 40% of their revenue is running through DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, and whatever their, you know, curbside pickup solution is, right? And so right. We're, we're losing wallet share. So we're keeping the merchant account, but we're losing wallet share. And so um, I'm, and, I, and it's interesting, actually, uh, I think crypto is very, in fact, it's funny, I just started, there's a new masterclass on crypto and blockchain. Mm-hmm. So I just started that. But I actually don't look at crypto as a major driver here in, in 2023. I think maybe over the next five years, as they come out of the crypto winter and you know there's and all yeah, this you got to come out of this yeah this mess yeah. that they're in right now right for but sure. I, I don't look at that as really my main concern i mean i i highly doubt that for the merchants that we service i'll be very surprised if 12 months from now 0.5 percent of gross revenue is crypto it's crypto right and i doubt it'll even be that yeah, whereas I'm not even sure yeah whereas if you're a restaurant right now what percentage of your revenue on average is going through a combination of grubhub doordash and uber eats i don't know 25 percent, maybe 15 but with crypto, it's sort of like unless you're selling Jaguars, right, or, or luxury yachts, yachts <laughs> you right. know, right, it's it's going to be you know minuscule, minuscule right. part of your of your yeah. So, but it's yeah, still so, you still want to have that option, obviously, right? Of course, yeah. And I, I still am a believer in crypto, but I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize it as part of what I would say are the big trends to be thinking about in 2023. I really mm-hmm. wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, unless you're specifically looking for a crypto op- opportunity, but if you're just in general a payments company and you're saying what's going to move, what's the big wave? Crypto is not going to be the big wave in 2023, in my opinion. No, no. Um, and and I'd like to talk if you don't mind, yeah, just please. really briefly, because I've been I've been covering this a lot lately. Is the move to faster payments or in yes. particular real-time payments. I think the yep. probably the biggest thing in 2023 that in the payments trend that's going to impact our industry is when the Fed comes out with Fed now. Yep. Yep. And that's due probably May or June timeframe. Yep. Um we already have RTP out of the New York clearinghouse. Um, you know, and you have a faster ACH. Right. You know, um, avoiding the interchange cost, avoiding the I saw an article the other day that just really made me sit up and take and take notice, which is that in at uh, JP Morgan Chase, they have tasked their technology geniuses to come up with a bank to bank alternative to credit cards. Yep. Well, they, yeah. And the stated objective is that they want to kill their credit card business. Right. And let's face it, folks, they're the biggest acquirer out there or. or Second biggest, if not the biggest. Right. right. Um, that's a real threat. And I don't think, you know, you we already have people like uh, I believe it is um oh gosh, I'm trying to think now which which company it is that has um well several of them right now are doing um real-time payouts or next day payouts. Yeah, right? well square, square has square, it. Square square has that, they but charge some 1%, of the uh, I think it is, but yeah, they have it. Yeah, but some of the other you know, major right. acquirers are doing it, you know, for a for a fee. 
Right. That's just that's like the what do you call it? The uh, camel's nose <laughs> under the, the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. The tip of the yeah. iceberg. Well, yeah. And, and I think what's interesting about it is they're doing that. It's incredibly popular, but they're doing it at their own risk <clears throat> because the ACHs may or may not come through. Right. Whereas once Fed now comes out, there'll be that'll be a zero risk situation. And what you're going to find is it's it's kind of to me, that trend is about. And I even put it in my list. There was ACH with with Fed now because right. because what's going to happen is now you have this idea of lower cost or even zero cost exchange of value, and that fits in with crypto. You right. know, ACH would be low cost, not zero cost. Um, Venmo, the Zelle, Fed pricing, I believe, is one to five cents. Right. You right. know, five cents for a regular transaction, one cent for a return. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, you're going to see a lot of. Um, you're going to see a lot of venture capital activity around this mm-hmm. once Fed now comes out with the APIs and everything, which they already have them actually. Now you can. Yeah, you already them. have the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people can kind of start to build into it. But yeah. So again, we're not, you know, this is not the, this is not the podcast to tell you, here's what you should do. No. This is the podcast to say, here's what you need to pay attention to. Right. You need to apply it. Let me give you two, the two questions I had. I was just going to ask you some, if you had questions for this. Yep. Great. So you're having your strategy meeting with your team. You're talking about this alternate forms of value exchange. Here's question number one. Will our volume in certain verticals decline per merchant over the next five years as they shift towards these alternate forms of value exchange? Mm-hmm. So are you at risk here of, you know, hey, our average restaurant right now is processing $47,000 a month with us. Right. Do we see that number drop into 25, 30,000 when DoorDash rolls out their pay at the table solution? Right. Mm-hmm. So we got to mm-hmm. be thinking about there's these other players that are not trying to like, totally unseat you as the provider of payment processing initially, but they're, they're getting their hooks in little by little and taking away your revenue. Um, Number two, how will we provide the right solutions to our merchants solutions, which enable them to collect the maximum amount of revenue while also ensuring our long-term profitability and growth per location. And this is something you and I have been talking about for what, three years now, at least, right, right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the idea that, that your merchants, you know, if your strategy is we're going to keep our merchants from accepting Venmo, Zelle, you know, we're going to keep our restaurants from using DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats. No, you're not. No, no. So that's a bad strategy. If that was your strategy, you better make a new one. Um, right. They're going to use that stuff. They're going to be accepting it. What are you going to do about it? Right. And I have a lot of ideas, which we're not going to dive into here, but it's like, you know, that's what I'm talking to my consulting clients about now is like, okay, what do we do about that? And so you have to be thinking about that, but that's, uh, that's a big mega trend for sure. And some questions. How about some questions that uh, we should be, our listeners should be asking? Do you have uh, a couple of those? Yeah. Well, so so again, I think I think it's I think if you kind of summarize, you'd say, is the volume going to decrease per merchant right. location, right? Per merchant type. And number two is, what are you going to do about it? What are solutions are you going to provide? Right. There. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Trend three: passing the cost of uh, processing um, through um, you know to, through differential pricing. Whether that right. be dual pricing, um, surcharging, you know, charge, you know, cash or ACH type of right. alternative, right? Right. So, um, yeah. So I think I think this one is probably the one we've talked about the most on the podcast. Um, so I think people are very familiar. Um, but a couple of notes I I wrote down here that I think are just really important trends to keep in mind. Number one, do keep in mind that 2023 will be the year that compliance. And I would even say enforcement of compliance mm-hmm. uh, is going to be mandatory. Um, yeah. 
And I've talked to just in the last week, three, four big ISOs that are just kind of got choked off with the number of compliance issues from the state AGs primarily also from the card brands. Mm -hmm. Um, I told everybody it was going to happen. I could tell Visa was serious about it this time. And everybody, you know, it's funny, Patty, like 60 days after I said that I had people saying, Oh, nothing's changed. And it's like, well, it's Visa. I didn't mean that. It's not going to take, it's going to take some bureaucracy people. I didn't mean the next day they were going to send, you know, but I mean, they have mystery shoppers out in force. Um, the state AGs are really serious about it now as well. The state attorney generals in the various States. Um, so, um, that's a big trend, but then of course we have this positive trend as well, which is that dual pricing, this idea of the cash and card price or the, the card ACH price online or, you know, card not present, um, consumers have pretty much just accepted it Yes. while at the same time, consumers have accepted it. Business owners are beginning to accept it more and more. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. this fantastic opportunity where the vast majority of merchants. So here's what I would say about this two two numbers that I think are interesting, Patty. Okay. The majority of merchants are still not doing it. Yes, agreed. The majority of merchants who are doing it are not doing it in a compliant way. That is the that's the sad part about this. It's the scary part about. Well, this it's it's it is it's not going to come and bite them in the butt. It is, but it's kind of like if you're one of the providers that's doing it in a compliant way and you're doing dual pricing, then you're great. This is a really good stat for you, right? This right. is kind of saying golden. right. Most of the market has doesn't even have a solution at all for this, and the ones who do, you could still sell them because they're doing it the wrong way. Right. 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 So. You really have to be confident in, yes. in, in how compliant your approach is, right? I mean, yeah, you do. that's that's going to be really important, not to just sell this solution, you know, the pricing, right? but to be confident that what you're selling is going to be compliant with state and federal requirements. Right. And so, and here's what I would say, Patty, I would also say what's really important is we got to layer this trend now on top of the first two. That's true. Right. That's true, so, right. so here, here are my three strategic questions for this one. Um, number one, you just mentioned it. Are we confident in the compliance of our current approach and our ability to deal with the car brands and the state AGs where we do business? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Talked to an agent the other day. He was, you know, had some serious issues with the state attorney general. I'm talking about, they sent a cease and desist letter to the merchant that said, immediately stop accepting card payments. Oh my gosh. Can I ask what state that was? It was was, a guess. Just curious if you can guess it. Florida? New York, New York, New York. That was going to be my next. Guess. That was going to yeah. be your next one, I'm sure, because right. it's the Florida and New York are the ones right now. Are California ones that, yeah. too, but right. but yeah, New York. It was New York. Um, mm-hmm. but you know what? You know what this this uh, agent did. His company basically was no help whatsoever, and he called the state attorney general's office and said, "Here's what we've done. We've implemented dual pricing." He actually, because because it's in New York, he actually reprinted their menus at his own cost with the cash uh-huh. and the card price. Sent that to the state AG, right, and said, "Here's what I've done for this merchant." Here's what they have posted now and everything. And the New York state attorney general said, you're totally fine. You can disregard that notice and a notice, you know, so, um, so, but you know, you got to be confident in your solution. What state are you in? What is the state AG? Most state AGs now have put out letters of opinion on this now, mm-hmm. and you need to be aware of what's going on. <clears throat> you need to have a good strategy for this. Um, once you feel confident, that's number one, you're confident in compliance. Number two, is our approach fully integrated into our technology solutions for the various verticals that we right. service? Right. So, I, I for a while I told people, look, if you get somebody on dual pricing, or at the time, at the time it was cash discounting, it was kind of like, how's somebody going to steal this merchant? Well, we now know the way they're going to steal them is with vertical specific software, right? Because right. the only thing business owners care more about than reducing cost is increasing revenue. Mm-hmm. So if they feel like, well, I'm a hair salon, and if I had online appointment scheduling, 
we would get a lot more business, but they don't have dual pricing. They will switch from your dual pricing to this other solution, right? So the days of having the terminal on the side, I would think about every merchant that has a terminal on the side of a point of sale system and say that merchant is at risk in 2023, right? Time to integrate. So look at your integrations, look at your vertical specific solutions that you already talked about. And how are we going to layer dual pricing in a compliant way on top of that? Yeah. Um, And then finally, number three, how will we grow this program while handling the emergence of alternate forms of payment, such as P2P, and keep the concept simple for consumers? So we got to keep it simple for consumers, Mm -hmm. but we also have to give our merchants the ability to accept some of these new forms of payment that are coming out. When we think about how does that work? Are there, is there differential pricing? Maybe that's not dual pricing anymore. Maybe it's tri-pricing or quad pricing or whatever. And so we have to be thinking about that a little bit as well. Yeah, I think that's going to be really important, especially with the um, emergence of P2P alternatives. Yep. yep. Okay, trend number four. Um, I think this is really interesting. Actually, I think this ties in really well with our sponsor um, and their recent at their acquisitions in 2022. Yes. Uh, right. Merchants and agents raising their expectations about the onboarding and underwriting um, and service processes. Um, yeah. Can you give us your thoughts on that, James? Yeah, so you're right. It does tie in with NMI in a big way. They just acquired Agreement Express. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I'll give you a really good example of this, Patty. I had an agent reach out to me last week. Mm-hmm. James, uh, I need, can you recommend another payment processor? And I was like, okay, well, why? What do you, like, what's the what's problem when problem? you got? Right. And I knew, the, I knew the one really well that he was with. And he said, they're just too slow. And I'm like, what do you mean too slow? I said, their underwriting is too slow. He said, I get paperwork, I have to do DocuSign, and then it takes them sometimes two, three days, you know? And he was, you know, switching payment processors specifically for that reason. And I get two, three, four emails like that a month right now. Mm. Um, And every time I talk to agents, it's part of the conversation. And they're saying, you know, they're asking me questions like, James, how long should I wait to see if my ISO is going to come out with the right solution? So um, yeah, let's mention our sponsor here. Because again, I think NMI really can play a pivotal role in this. Mm-hmm. You know, their acquisition of Agreement Express, their acquisition of Iris, right. a CRM. So they're trying to tie all this together to give you the solutions, the technology solutions you need if you're that ISO that's trying to get to the next level in any of these areas with technology, they can be a great partner. But right. especially with, with the onboarding process, I think they- Especially with the onboarding process, because I think that's the hardest one right now. It really is. It really is. And, and the thing that's unique about them, people kind of ask me sometimes, they'll say, well, why would I use Iris? Why wouldn't I just use Salesforce? Why wouldn't I use Zoho? Why wouldn't I use... And I say, well, because those companies haven't done underwriting integrations with TSIS and Fiserv and FIS and Global mm-hmm. and on and on down the list goes. Doing those integrations is the hard part. You know, I really congratulate Dimitri who built Iris. He just kind of retired from, from Iris, uh, I think a couple of days ago at the time of this recording. Uh-huh. Posted it on LinkedIn that he was he was done. I didn't realize that he had retired. Okay. Yeah, he did. So you know, I don't know if he would say he retired. He's going he's, on to his next venture. That's all. Yeah. Well, his next venture right now, he said, was his family, which I really respected, and I thought that was awesome. I can but I'm sure we'll that. we'll be seeing Dimitri doing cool things again soon. But he built out Iris, and and what he did that's really hard is he got these companies to integrate their underwriting departments and their onboarding and all that you know through Iris. So that allows you to automate a lot of this underwriting process and speed things up in a really significant way. Then you look at Agreement Express uh, that they just acquired. And I'm sure as they get that fully integrated in, now we're going to have this incredible speed of execution to getting these deals done. Um, so let's let's talk about, though, a couple of things here. So, you know, you know, Patty, when we talk about um, technology and, and when, you know, when we're again, we're sitting around the table with our teams. 
right? How is technology going to change our payments business? Mm-hmm. Well, we generally do think more about the ISB, the uh, vertical specific software solution. I mean, that's where our mind goes and, right. and it should. That's a good, that's you know, the first trend. But we also need to think about the internal technology. Mm-hmm. So, sure. right, like, what is the agent experience? What is the partner experience, right? If you're a, a point of sale company, you're going after the ISO agent distribution channel. What is their experience? Not, not just the in merchant. What is the, what is the agent ISO experience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you have some things you need to do. I put some questions in here. I said, you know, what percentage of your merchants are auto-approved in 15 minutes or less? What does your merchant onboarding experience compare? How does it compare to the fintechs and large payfacts? And how do you do that comparison, though, James? That, that's that, I was curious about that question. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, actually. I think most people that are listening to this mm-hmm. have already experienced, you know, you, you've, you know, so I you've just had today, enough experience with each one that you can kind of tell. Yeah, I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's like for those that, that maybe don't have that context, um, when you sign up for a fintech or you sign up with a bit, one of the big payfacts, you go to a website, you fill out a one page form and, that's and it. you're approved. Yeah. And that's it. That that just says it right there for me. You don't right? need to go anymore. So, okay. so look at your experience and see how it compares <laughs> if, to that, right? And if, if your experience isn't that, you need to be looking at that. Exactly. Right, right, um, right. Gotcha. When merchants have an issue, are they forced to use phone calls for assistance rather than engaging through a digital? You know, oh, can, can they oh. message you? Can they do a chat? Right, right, right. Talk can about they, 2023 versus even 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, I hate, I mean... If I had to call somebody now, I mean, I just, well, I, I would literally, I, I don't even know if there's a company that I would continue working with if I had to call them. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I mean, I have no, an assistant and I have I'm operational people and I, I can delegate some of that stuff to them. But I mean, if I'm like, we got to wait on hold of the company, forget it. I'm an old geezer and I'm with you. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you let's know? just, let's I just cancel that. I spent way too many, you know, I wait, wasted too many hours of my life being on hold. Yes. If exactly. I can't do it digitally, you know, I'll forget find about somebody it. else. Um, do your agents have a friction-free experience from new merchant onboarding to residual reporting and everything in between? Now, again, almost everything I just mentioned, right. you could go out and spend a million dollars in 2023 and build that experience. Right. Or you could reach out to Iris CRM and NMI and their mm-hmm. acquisition of Agreement Express and put all these pieces together, which they've already done, and you can right. just get it working. Right. So I think you have to look at opportunity cost here. Is it really worth building this platform for your agents or do you just go to the one that's already built and say, okay, cool. Let's just leverage that. Um, the longer I'm in business and I see more and more of opportunity costs and, you know, other things I could be doing. Anytime I get a chance to buy technology instead of build it, uh, rent technology, whatever it is, if, if I can get it without building it, I'm going to get it without building it. Oh yeah. Especially because you know how long it takes to build it. So And how expensive you, it is. Yeah. And how expensive. Yeah. I put one of my statements here. My One of my favorite statements from this document, actually, I put at the bottom of this one, this trend. 2023 will be a year where ISOs, ISVs, and payments industry vendors catch up with the rest of the world digitally or start down the path of irrelevance. You know, it, 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 that just it, it makes me remember a, a comment I think I got from DJ um, from, at NMI not yep. that long ago. Where he said, and I love this. I've been, I've held on to this. Those of you who don't like change will like irrelevancy even less. Yeah, that's a good quote. I forgot about that. that. I one? think that was VJ. That's a good quote. Yeah, is it really is? And I think that kind of takes us to our fifth trend, right, James? Yes. The changing role of the uh, merchant sales rep. Yep. So, um, you know, merchant sales is changing. Um. I think the biggest change when I kind of zoom out and look at it, Patty, is mm-hmm. that it doesn't 
it, saying you're in merchant sales doesn't mean anything anymore. No. It used to mean something. You know, when I got into the business, if I'm in merchant sales and somebody else is in merchant sales, I know what that means. It means we both walk into every business on the street and we sell them a terminal. Right, right. That's what it meant. That's merchant that's sales. That's why we used to call them the feed on the street. Right? Exactly. Right. Um, you know, that still exists for sure. I think 2023, we're going to see a really, really significant shift kind of behind the scenes. It's not going to be a trend that's like right in your face. It's going uh -huh. to happen behind the scenes. And companies, a lot of them are going to kind of wonder what happened. Why are our sales down year over year? We didn't anticipate. We didn't see this coming. And the reason is because they don't understand that the very nature, the fabric of merchant sales is changing. Mm -hmm. And the best merchant salespeople, they're successful for a reason. It's because they do embrace the change. Right. They're looking at trends like they're listening to this podcast and they're saying, oh, wait a second, James. If these are the five, you know, four big trends, right? Then then number five, yeah, I got to change. I'm not going to every business anymore. I'm being more vertical specific. I'm getting into online marketing. I'm starting to think about partnership with ISV. So I'm starting to think about how I'm going to sell technology to one vertical and how I'm going to do it well. So all of a sudden, what they are looking for is shifting. And as a result, if your company depends on ISO agent distribution, you need to be understanding, getting ahead of that change and being the place you need to become the home mm -hmm. for agents that want to do that. And so uh, a couple of things that I, I wrote down here, um, you know, and we talked about this actually in a recent podcast episode um, with uh, somebody from PayArk, or the name all of a sudden there, but, um, but, you know, this idea that the foundation of what we see today when we think about ISO agent is this model of kind of no control you know, in, in extreme independence. So right. I'm an ISO, I'm going to recruit a bunch of 1099s and I'm going to say, I won't bother you if you don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll give you a nice residual split. Right. So that can scale and it works well because it's super inexpensive. Like there's just no cost of acquisition there. Uh -huh. So that's great. However, it only works within the context of selling something simple. In right. this case, a free terminal with dual pricing. That will work, Right. But that's not where we're at and that's not where we're going. So now as we shift, we got to go, wait a second. We need to redefine this relationship between the ISO and the agent or the ISV and the agent or the payfac and the agent, whoever's using the ISO agent distribution model. Right. Like, um, or are the, you a partner or are you just a service provider, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You got to be a partner. So let, let's dive into the questions real quick. I got three questions for this one to okay. ask yourself and your team. How do the individual sales professionals view our brand today? How should we shift their perception in 2023 to position our relationship for long-term success? Do they view us as a service provider or as a partner? And how can we shift their perception towards partnership? So that's all one question. That was a lot of questions in one. That's but a lot the of questions is, in one, but I think the last part is really important here. The need to shift perception. Yes. You know, that's something that that the ISO has to really work with their agents on. Like it, it's not something they can hope will happen. Yep. You know, and, yep. and and that I think um is why this whole idea of just hiring a bunch of 1099s and letting them go out and do their thing. Right. It doesn't well, it doesn't work because if you let them go out and do their thing, they won't do it. They're not gonna do it. Yeah. You gotta yeah. give them the resources, you know. So oh well, I guess number two. Uh, what resources oh, yeah. are we investing uh, in the sales professionals who ultimately sell our solutions? Now, I want to stop for a second. If you own a point of sale company, which I know a lot of people, you own an ISV and you're trying to leverage agent right through ISO. Let me ask this question to you again. 
what resources are we, your company, what resources are we investing in the sales professionals, not the ISOs, right? In the sales professionals who ultimately sell our solutions, how could we dramatically increase this investment while receiving an ROI through growth? Okay. So mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, consulting clients, I have this conversation with, I've had many, many times. There is no such thing as ISO distribution. That doesn't exist. You say, well, I've got a point of sale company. I want to sell it through the ISOs. You can't. ISOs don't sell things. Right. right. Agents do. Right. ISOs are a doorway to distribution. They are not distribution in themselves. Mm-hmm. And you have this, you, I've seen so many of these, you know, technology companies, oh, we're going to leverage ISOs. And they go out and they get a hundred ISOs to sell their stuff. And they don't make any sales. Why? Because they don't understand. They think the ISO is going to take care of making sure the agent sell it. And they're not. Mm-hmm. The agent is the one selling it. You got to partner with the ISO to say, well, wait a second. We don't just want you to put our solution in your available list of solutions in your portal. We want the agents to actually sell it. So what do they need from us? Right. What marketing materials? What bonuses? What can we training? Pay? Yeah. What training? I talked to a, a point of sale company um, just in the last week. I'm actually talking to them again this afternoon. And I was throwing some crazy ideas out there of talking about, you know, imagine if you paid a thousand dollar bonus, they're, they're going through ISOs. What if you paid a thousand dollar bonus to the, for the first three sales that each agent made for the first 90 days of your partnership? Uh-huh. And it's like, well, you can't really justify that investment on a per merchant basis. I mean, you kind of can, but it's, it's a little hard. But when you say, but, but by doing that, if I could get myself an army of 20 agents who were really familiar with selling my point of sale system, and I was getting the SaaS revenue off of that, right? Um, right. What would that be worth? right? Yeah. Long-term. And so I think it's things like that, but also for the ISO thinking about marketing materials. And again, this layers on top of the other trends, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What resources are you going to provide relative to the fact that we're going vertical specific and these other challenges? Um, yeah. Yeah. Number three, how much of our communication with our sales professionals is proactive versus reactive? How should our agent support culture change to position our company as a value added partner? Yeah. So something else to think about. That's that, that. Those are some really good questions. But I think, you know, you had a, one more insight in your. I thing. did. And and I this one, again, is another one of my favorites. I, yeah. think, I know you know, you'll have I, something to say about this one as well. Yeah, I definitely have something to say about this. And that is, you know, government disruption of the status quo. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest. I don't think personally that Senator Durbin is going to get his credit card competition. I don't either. And here's a little aside. I was watching a program last night. It was a special on the whole student loan thing. Yeah. Right. And one one of the things I didn't realize, and I know this is off topic, but let's just, if I can share it really briefly. Yeah. There's apparently was a provision in legislation back in the 90s that made um, student loans non-dischargeable in a bankruptcy filing. Okay, so you can discharge your credit card debt, but you can't you discharge your student loans. Your right. student loans. And apparently, Senator Durbin has written legislation that would eliminate that, you know, that would repeal that provision. Allowing people to get rid of student loan debt through bankruptcy. Right. Now, okay. you would think that, you know, this would be something that a Democratic senator would want to promote. Yeah. And so they talked to him and he's like, Oh yeah, and apparently they talked to him in June, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this up to the committee right away." Yeah, and he still hasn't. Right. So that well, I came away from that with one real, you know, piercing idea, and that is Durbin is in this more 
for the PR effect. Yeah. Than he is for the reality. Right. And, well, and it, also, it also tells you something that he cares more about the payments space than he does student loan debt. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that the fact that he's kind of zero, I, I've been fascinated by his fascination with it. Really, well, frankly. I am too, because it's like, it's not something he really, under, he understands. No, no. He's never been in this business. He doesn't have a, right. you know, I don't, I'm not quite, I'm personally, I think, it, you know, it's obviously coming from, you know, retailers. Yeah, it's lobby, lobby on both sides. Yeah. yeah, and that's what senators do. They listen to lobbyists all day and figure out what they should do. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple things about this trend, Patty. So, so that, you know, and again, not, it's not a trend, it's an insight because it's, Right. I don't know because I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen, so I can't call it. And a trend. And, and, I, and I don't either. But right. we certainly need to um, keep our fingers on this on the pulse of this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you a couple of thoughts I had real quick. Mm-hmm. Um. So this idea, first of all, the 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 insight isn't that the payment processing you know interchange is going to be regulated. No. The insight is that the government may disrupt the established payments ecosystem. Right. So as I look at all these things that are happening, because again. This is not about Durbin's new thing. It could be about that, but it's not just about that. Well, and remember this, it's also about Fed now. Oh, absolutely. You have right. Fed now. That's our, I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. That ties in beautifully. That here. ties in with this very much. It does. Yes. But I think, think about the debit rerouting from Durbin amendment the, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. That goes into effect in July. I mean, right. still no one really knows what that means. Right. You know, what's going to happen? I'll tell you the other thought I had, Patty. I was going to post it on, on LinkedIn that I didn't get to it yet. But, um, you know, do you, know, do you realize how many hundreds of fintech startups there are who make their money from interchange? I can't and I mean, imagine. And I mean, they make their money almost entirely from interchange. Really? That I mean, they're not making anything on the software at all? No. I mean, you look at a lot of the um, companies that, you know, they they have really cool personal banking apps mm-hmm. and they're totally free, but you use their cards. Mm-hmm. Things like so that. They're making interchange, sure. They're on the issuing side. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of fintechs, like the majority of fintechs that make and money the, off interchange. Even many of these neo banks, like uh, Chime, you know, or yeah, things right. like that. And, right? and others that we're gonna be we're gonna be talking to. Talking uh, about yes. Yeah, we'll be talking about that next week, I think. Um, but you know, that's a big deal. And and you know, we're we gotta look at this threat and say, well, whether or not it happens in 2023, I'm not calling it a trend, but I'm saying at some point in the next 10 years. I think interchange is going to get regulated further. Like, so what does that mean? Are we thinking about that? Right. And what does that mean for our business? But I think also, are we ready for some kind of disruption to happen where we just assume, well, Visa and MasterCard, they always do everything right. What if they stop? Uh What if they have a hiccup? What if they have a Uh problem? What if you can't Uh get authorization codes back all of a sudden from Visa? So I'm, I'm not predicting that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's a trend. I'm just saying, keep an eye out. And if I was you, I might have a couple of extra support people ready when the, when Visa rolls out what they've been forced to do by the federal government as, as it relates to debit routing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I think a lot of these things that we take for granted, um, you know, could, could be interesting. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, this, this uh, debit routing is supposed to take place, uh, take, take in, you know, take effect July yep. of 2023. Yep. I'm betting that's going to be postponed. You think so? I think so. I, I wouldn't think be surprised. That, you yeah. know, I mean, when, when you consider <laughs> that they put it out with less than a year to implementation. 
Yeah. And there needs to there need to be technology, you know, changes to support yep. this. Yep. Um, I have not seen anything yet go to the Fed saying, hey, hold on a few minutes, you know. Right. You know, right. but um, you know, take a moment. But I I'm gonna well, it's just they, they've delayed that. it so many times. I, I guess what I'm concerned about is I feel like at some point here, somebody at the federal government is gonna be stupid enough to force the hand and say, Oh yeah. Okay, we delayed it. You know, it's been ten years. How much longer are we going to delay this? And they're going to say no. But this you is know, happening. they didn't. They didn't really delay it because the technology never made it necessary until maybe three years ago. Well, yeah, yes and no, right? That could be a whole other conversation because the idea, in my mind at least, is that two or three years ago, everybody realized that Visa wasn't actually doing it the way that right the law demanded but, but, it to but do. But don't it. you think that I mean, when the law was written. Because it wasn't the online debit. It wasn't even the consideration, really. Well, yeah, but I'm saying even before that, remember all the stuff with Shazam and the others where they were still saying Visa wasn't giving customers the choice. Yeah, that's true. Like to me, I don't, I honestly, and I mean, I've read tons about it. I still don't even know what it means. I really don't. What does it mean? You're going to go into a business and use your debit card and the merchant, which I guess in this case is going to be the acquiring bank, is going to have the ability to to choose different, which obviously it's going to be automated. Right. But like how what does that how? even mean well that's why i'm saying it has to be, that's why i believe it's going to take time because i don't even think the merchant community understands how, right. how this is going to well work. i think no matter how long they take i think visa is going to drag their feet okay. until they get their notice and then visa is going to send their notice down to all the acquirers and say 60 days from now this is how this has to work but it also has to go out to the issuers because the issuers have to make that yeah somehow they're going to have to connect to this new thing Right. So, and so that means they're going to need to reprogram know, cards, which means they're going to have to reissue cards. Well, maybe, maybe. I don't know about that because I think you could tie the networks together on the back end only. So yeah, you, maybe. But you know, yeah. But anyway, I think I think what's obvious from our conversation right now to our listeners, this is super confusing. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. Yeah, it's it's complex. And my concern, and the reason I'm I'm putting this as the insights for 2023 is that I'm not so much concerned about additional regulation in 2023, although that could happen. I think that's a longer term thing. But what I'm really concerned about is we need to be aware of what's happening here. Because, oh, yeah. you know, I could totally see if you're a if you're an executive at a large acquiring bank, I could totally see you getting a notice from Visa at some point in 2023 mm-hmm. that says the July deadline is coming up. Here's how you have to route debit moving forward per the federal government. And you're like, whoa, wait, what? We never dealt with that. We never tried to figure out like, and so all of a sudden we have this whole other variable. Um, and I think it could really be a disruption. That's just a kind of this, oh, yeah. one of these fundamental core disruptions of something we kind of take for granted right now. So, yeah, I think it'll have as much uh, disruptive effect as the Durban amendment itself. Yeah, I agree. But it'll be a weird, a different kind of disruption. Different kind, but it'll you know? be as, but, yeah. as uh, extensive, you know, as, as, as felt as bigly. As so let's see here. I got, I've got my conclusion here. So, you know, first of all, Patty and I hope that this has been a help to you. Hopefully, right. as you think about 2023 and you're thinking about technology, this is going to be a help. Um, go through this one again. Go to the document. It's at ccsalespro.com slash insights. I would highly encourage you on this particular one. Get that document, download it, send it to everybody on your team. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of the reasons I had NMI as the sponsor. They're processor agnostic. You're not going to upset anybody. So give it to everybody on your team and have some conversations about it. I hope yeah. that this document is going to spark conversation. That's why I wrote it. Uh, this is normally the kind of thing I would give to my consulting clients. And I do, I take these 
these trends and stuff and break it down for them and, and how it applies to their business. But I want to share it with the industry as a whole. So everybody can kind of like take a step back and say, well, wait a second, if this is where we're going. And we agree, and if you agree with my assumptions and with what Patty has said today, have some conversations, see where the industry is going. And don't forget to check out our sponsor because they are so integral to this. They could be so integral to this if you wanted them to be. And that would be, you have NMI.com. Mm -hmm. NMI owns Iris CRM, I-R-I-S CRM.com, which is the leading um, CRM um, underwriting platform, residual calculation, all that. Right. Um, and then Agreement Express, right, which is kind of the front end there for getting deals done, um, document management, all that. So and they all also these support, solutions together. you know, virtual payments, uh, APIs to software integration. Yes. You know, it's, uh, you know, a gateway, it's processor agnostic. It's sort of like everything you need right there. Yeah, it's, the, it's definitely the premier processor agnostic technology provider in the industry right now. I agree. So definitely check them out. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast all year. We're and excited. To, we're going strong next year, right, Patty? We're just gonna hey, keep going. yeah, let's keep going. And here's to a prosperous and uh, happy and healthy 2023. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.